0: this podcast was recorded on march 12 2020 in malden massachusetts just when the coronavirus was beginning to shut down daily life in our city And Welcome to the next episode of Malden Reads Fahrenheit 451, a companion podcast for the NEA Big Read 2020 in Malden, Massachusetts, organized by Malden Reads, One City, One Book. I'm your host, Anne Rose, and today my guest is Reverend Otto O'Connor, the minister at the First Parish of Malden, a Unitarian Universalist congregation. This is Reverend Otto's third year of ministry to First Parish a church that prides itself in reaching out to the community beyond its congregation and being a part of community life. To that end, Reverend Otto and the minister before him have taken part in Malden Reads each year by offering an interfaith worship service based on the book selection followed by a book discussion. We look forward to this year's service scheduled for March 29th if we don't end up rescheduling due to concerns about the coronavirus. Reverend Otto, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to be here. So before we delve into this book, um, you are the first, uh, the minister at First Parish, which is a very old congregation in Malden. Yes. It's one of the First First Parish, so... 1648. 1648 <laughs> is established, so... Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite a history.
1: Yes, yes. A lot of years and a lot of different theologies that they've been through. It's amazing.
0: Well, um, I'm excited to talk about this book with you because I know you're a reader in general, mm-hmm. but you've said to me that you particularly like reading science fiction. That's true. <laughs> and to be honest, um, I'm not a big science fiction reader. And it's been interesting because um, when we've been leading book discussions, I've heard from a few people, well, I don't really like science fiction, <laughs> you know, but I have to say like, this doesn't I mean, well, I guess let me ask you, do you feel like this book fits the science fiction genre?
1: It's such a such a good question. I think it's speculative fiction a little bit. I don't know if you understand that distinction or if you've heard of that before. Um, I heard it first from Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, Mm. um, where it's sort of an idea of this is how the society could be in the future. Um, And it's actually more of a social commentary on what that could look like. But I do actually think that this is more science fiction than a lot of speculative fiction because there are sort of some technological things that they're doing, right? They have the hound and um, when he wrote it, the sort of idea of having the parlor with all the screens was very science fiction, even though it's maybe less science fiction. The seashells in their (laughs) ears. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all of those pieces are very science fiction, but what he's using it to to say is a little bit more, obviously, dystopian. Yes,
0: yeah. Well, I, I... Actually, um, the introduction in to the book that we've been giving out for Malden Reads, um, it has an intro by Neil Gaiman. The um, I guess he's considered a science fiction writer.
1: Yeah, he's oh. also uh, like he, yeah, science fiction writer.
0: Um, and he writes in the first paragraph: Sometimes writers write about a world that does not yet exist. We do it for a hundred reasons, because it's good to look forward, not back, because we need to illuminate a path we hope or we fear humanity will take because the world of the future seems more enticing or more interesting than the world of today. Because we need to warn you to encourage, to examine, to imagine.
1: Hmm. I I think this is really relevant um, in particular in regards to this book and also just what science fiction is doing right now in general, Um, since you're not so much of a science fiction fan. I don't know if you watch any science fiction movies or television, um, but there's a, a way in which I think science fiction can either be looking towards the future in a positive way or a negative way, right? So there's sort of, this is the future that we could imagine and it's wonderful, or um, this is the future we really don't want to go towards. Now, uh, I think lately there's been a trend of a lot more like, don't we don't want this future, like, you know, the Hunger very Games. Right, very yeah. dystopian. And um, as I've talked about perhaps with you before Um, i grew up on star trek which used to be such a positive future right this is when we we could all get along blah 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 um but even star trek right now there's new star treks out that are very dystopian Mm. so almost all of the um the science fiction out there that i see is really dystopian and i think that that's a lot of a reflection of where we are in the world right now Mm
0: -hmm. yeah for sure um that I, I and, and it, it amazes me that so much of this dystopian um, fiction is um, for young adults <laughs> you know it's almost like we're preparing our yes. young adults for yeah. what might be like I, I you know I mean the Hunger Games is a good example and that was one thing that struck me in the book when um, at the end when Montag is on the run mm-hmm. and he's, he's being televised mm-hmm. so everybody is watching him on TV and they're, mm-hmm. they're, the hunt is live. It reminds me so much of, I mean, I did, I did read The Hunger Games and I did mm-hmm. see the movies and um, I thought, did they take that directly from this book?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because
0: I mean, then they actually um, fake his own, because they couldn't catch him, mm-hmm. they fake his own murder mm-hmm. so that everyone believes that he's been caught.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So it is like the Hunger Games in that way. It actually reminds me of things that have happened in our world, though, like O.J. Simpson's Bronco chase, you know, ways in which we televise people um, if they're they're on the run or something. Um, I also thought it was really interesting. I actually watched the movie, uh, the most recent movie, the HBO movie.
0: Oh, I didn't see Um, that
1: one. It's with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was considering doing a movie night, but. Who knows what will happen now? <laughs> Anyhow, it, right. it shows it shows him up. You know, all of the uh, all of the screens that are showing him at, during the run will have like they have like little like buttons, like on Facebook and stuff. Like they're liking it or they're uh. you know, and it's really actually an interesting visual to see. Oh, this is happening in real time. People will do this on Instagram or Facebook, Facebook Live, right? You could have something like this on Facebook Live. It's sort of the negative side. Of what that could be,
0: yeah, yeah. And the other thing it reminded me of when I read that part of him being on the run was, it it had shades of um, post Boston Marathon mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we were all like in our houses. We were told to be in our houses, and you know they were chasing this guy, and you know look out your window, and and that was mm-hmm. the same th- sort of thing that that kind of mm-hmm. eerie, like everybody's in their house watching mm-hmm. this at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. definitely this element of Our reality in this,
1: right? What
0: at the same time is science fiction, yeah,
1: and definitely science fiction at the time it was written, right? 1953, yeah, that's what's amazing. amazing, 70 almost 70 years ago,
0: that's what just so is (laughs) remarkable. And I think it's it's so important to kind of know that when you're reading the book, that it was written then in the time of black and white TV, and Mm. um, and how he could have projected what you're hearing and seeing in this book. Mm
1: -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. It's pretty remarkable.
1: Certainly. So one thing um, that I think is interesting when you brought up what you said about um, literature for young adults is how the character of Clarice, Mm -hmm. who is a young adult, um, is actually the person who sort of sees the truth in what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that can often be the case because children, um, as they're growing up, they, they see our world sometimes in this way of of a freshness of able to show us like, are you looking at what's happening? I mean, I think we see this a lot with um, climate activists and um, folks who have been, you know, who were in uh, the shooting at that school and our activists who are our children. Um, But in this case, I think it's really interesting to see her um, just talk a little bit about uh, her own experience. Um, I'm just going to read a little section Mm -hmm. here. Uh, So she talks about that she, uh, what's going on Montag asks about what she's doing inside her house with the lights on. And she said, Oh, just my mother and father and uncle sitting around talking. It's like being a pedestrian, only rarer. Uh, and, and then, uh, Montag says, but what do you talk about? And for her, it's this, like, this is a a normal thing. And for us, when we, when we hear that it's normal to sit around and talk, but in this world, that's not normal.
0: No, you only are looking, staring at media, you have mm-hmm. media streaming mm-hmm. at you, you've lost mm-hmm. that sense of connection
1: with mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. And
0: so it is rare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And something that I think is really interesting is that I think so often when we talk about people who are really connected to media, we talk about the younger generation being those people who are really connected, right? Like Gen Z, they're always on their phones. Mm-hmm. Um and in this book I I thought it was interesting how the younger person is going actually look. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, you know. Yeah. It, it was one one character but Yes,
0: and she comes from a family of right. resistors if you right, will, yeah, you know. Yeah, um yeah. but yeah, she you know, it it And I, you know, people use this, probably overuse this analogy, but I think about the frog in boiling water. You know, it's like the society got to this point and things become normal because they happen gradually. Mm -hmm. And you don't even realize that you now have lost that ability to connect Mm -hmm. um, until you're reminded Mm -hmm. of by seeing somebody that does things differently.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Mm. So, um well there's 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 so much ground to cover in here, but we've been we've been covering a lot of ground through the podcast, and I know you did listen to the previous episode. but I thought um there there was one interesting thing, and I both you and I um, noted this that the there is a mention of Unitarian Universalists in the book. yes, they got a they got a line in here, yeah,
1: yeah, that was my favorite part of the book for personally because I was like, look, it's us because we don't get mentioned that often
0: no, but at the same time, it's one of the more challenging parts of the mm-hmm. book in terms mm-hmm. of trying to understand what is Bradbury saying. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you want to read that part? Do you have that there? Yep, or? I have
1: it open right here. Um, so, uh, so it says, Now let's talk about the minorities in our civilization, shall we? Bigger the population the more minorities. Don't step on the toes of the dog lovers, the cat lovers, doctors, lawyers, merchants, chiefs, Mormons, Baptists, Unitarians, second-generation Chinese, Swedes, Italians, Germans, Texans, Brooklynites, Irishmen, people from Oregon or Mexico. The people in this book, this play, could <laughs> keep going on, keep right? Going. Um, the bigger your market, Montag, the less you handle controversy. Remember that. Yeah. All the m- minor, minor minorities with their navels to be kept clean. Like,
0: you know, and then magazines became a nice blend of vanilla mm, tapioca. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, so... Is he saying, you know, is this railing against political correctness that you don't want to, um, you know, step on anyone's toes so you don't say anything and then things become bland and meaningless? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying... I don't know what. How do you? Yeah. Take it? So
1: I mean, I think it's interesting because I was like, "Oh, is he saying don't be like a special snowflake? You know, don't get to s- be so sensitive, you know, and that that sensitivity is what caused society to become the way that it is." Um, I, I think a little bit he is saying that, and I got a little bit of that from some of the extra research I did. I don't have any quotes from that, but uh, I, and I don't necessarily, I definitely don't agree with that because I think that there's uh, there's a way in which you can. Talk about "quote unquote" political correctness, um, and talk about it as actually being empathetic to other people and speaking with empathy about other people. And there's also this piece where um, you can say something that's not politically correct, and I don't think we're gonna about to burn a book just because you you did that.
0: Because that's what he says later, yeah. and this is where the, it's the other side, maybe the other side of the coin, and yeah. where I think it's fairly complex. Is he yeah. writes. Colored people don't like little black Sambo? Burn it. White people don't feel good about Uncle Tom's cabin? Burn it. Someone's written a book on tobacco and cancer of the lungs? The cigarette people are weeping? Burn the book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. here he's saying, you know, and here I agree with this. What agree with the irony. In other words, I don't agree with what he's saying. I agree that um, you, can't, you can't erase our history. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. get rid of, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, because right. there's racist overtones in the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. the historical context for that novel. Right, right. What you can do is you add voices, you add the voices, you fill in the story, mm-hmm, you don't get rid of the mm-hmm, story.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually appreciate that piece because books are in particular uh, prone to that, I think, because they can, we have books from so many different time periods at this point, right? Um I've studied the Bible a lot and there's a lot in the Bible that is terrible and offensive and you would never want to agree with it, but you have to put it in context. And I think that's, what's really important.
0: And that's interesting that you brought up the Bible because the Bible that, you know, we've talked about a little bit of this on the the podcast, but that's the book that Montag takes to read, Mm. um, Mm. and later ends up memorizing at least Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Um, and, you know, we said, well, we, we talked about, well, why did Bradbury choose the Bible? You know, mm, is it because mm. um, for religious reason? I don't mm. think so. But it's just such a part of our culture. Absolutely. You know, Judeo-Christian. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an important book. No matter how you look at it, it's right. an important book. Right. Um,
1: and I think it would keep being important even if we didn't have churches, because there's this such a history that's involved with it. So
0: yes, but here's a part I really struck me when when he does that when he when I don't know if you caught this one, but this really ties into uh, the theme of commercialism, mm. which I think is uh, really an uh, uh, an overriding theme in the book. You know. There's there's advertising. You can tell that media's the media that people are intaking are funded by advertisers. He tries to read the book and, and there's this ad that's going on the T saying Denims Dentifrice Denims mm-hmm. Denim mm-hmm. can't concentrate. But what really struck me is when he um, when Montag goes to see Faber, who was the guy who helps him escape, and Faber looks at the Bible and Faber's a resistor. Faber's hiding books and yes. his, oh, you know st- someone who's still reading books and but keeping it hidden. Anyway, so he flips through the Bible, and he said, Wow, it's been a long time. I'm not a religious man, but Lord, it's as good as I remember. How they've changed it in our parlors these days. Christ is one of the family now. I often wonder if God recognizes his own son, the way we've dressed him up, or is it dressed him down? He's a regular peppermint stick now, all sugar crystal and saccharin, when he isn't making veiled references to certain commercial products that every worshiper absolutely needs.
1: Interesting. Um, yeah, so I did hear see that. Are they implying that it's like a worship service happening in the parlor? No, I think it's I think it's ads. I, ads, I see it as okay. commercials. And Christ is part of
0: it. And Christ is part. And, and you know what? I feel like we're not that far away. Mm, totally. It could happen right around the corner. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. haven't yet seen Jesus in any particular ads yet, but <laughs> I could see it. You know, you, there's all kinds totally. of things you see in ads that you're like didn't see
1: before, and right. You know, so. I think in some ways there is some commercialism around some mega churches and the ways in which they talk about Jesus, you know, e- or even books that are like give a- I gave up dating for Jesus or something like that, you know, selling books because of that or having televangelists and that kind of thing. Kind of is already on that edge. Mm. Yeah. Well, um
0: it's an niche. there's there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of it. Sometimes you can, you know, you This is kind of a book where you read it a second time and you see all these things that you didn't see before because it's Mm -hmm. kind of packed into Mm -hmm. these hundred and fifty-eight pages, whatever Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. No, I did not catch that one.
0: Actually, we're going to take a short break right now, and we'll be right back. Malden reads one city, one book is an expensive community reading program in malden massachusetts organized by a dynamic group of volunteers in collaboration with the malden public library and matv soon to be uma urban media arts the 2020 season is called the nea big read malden due to a grant received from the national endowment for the arts in partnership with arts midwest for more information about Malden reads and the nea big read please visit maldenreads.org. And we're back, and my guest is Reverend Otto O'Connor from the First Parish of Malden Unitarian Universalist Church. So um, you had another quote that you wanted to share,
1: right? Yes. So I wanted to talk about. Actually, this took my breath away when I was reading the book, and it's it comes at the end of the second chapter, and it's just when Montag says, "Why we've stopped in front of my house," and he's with uh, he's with all the other firefighters, and even though it's kind of obvious that it might be going in this direction, um, something about this kind of took my breath away because I thought about how sometimes. Well,
0: before you go to yeah. explain to listeners, so they, Sorry. so they, so basically he's been told on, you know, that he's got books hidden in his house. So he's, he's working, you know, his fireman shift and they all go and they stop in front of his house, meaning they're going to go in and burn, burn the books
1: in his house. So yeah. Yeah. go ahead. For me, reading that, it's almost this piece of no matter how much power you have, sometimes that power and privilege won't protect you if you've, if you've done something that's Um, that's so egregious in society's eyes. Um, And in this case, it's having books. Um, And and in the ways in which sometimes people in power can can have this feeling like they're above the law. Um, And sometimes their power does protect them, but... But I, I, I sort of appreciated that it didn't in this case.
0: No, he did get um, a warning, I think, from Captain Beatty. You know, yeah, but, but, <laughs> he uh, did. Yeah, but that he pushed it too far, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, yeah, and he yeah. got he got caught. And it, and actually, it's implied that his wife really is the one who turned yeah, him in. That's right. You know, um, so he. Uh, that's when, he, at that point, you know, he ends up, um, you know, fleeing. Well, after he he burns Captain Petey in the fire, yeah. which is was kind of a surprise.
1: Definitely a surprise <laughs> totally to me. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I read this book a long time ago, I like had forgotten I've this. I have gotten that one. Yeah.
0: And, you know, he wrestles with that after. But it it, it really was the only way he was going to be able to survive. Mm. Um, I'm not justifying it, but that's what happened. And then, you know, he, he goes on to flee. And that's where, um, you know, he escapes to the hinterlands or Mm -hmm. you know where you know the city is uh you can see the city from the distance and I think um at that point what I what really struck me about the novel is where as the rest of the novel you just felt like the whole the surroundings were gray and there was lack of nature and as soon as he gets out of the city there's all these descriptions there's description of the river and the air and the silence and the trees um, so different from where he's coming from.
1: Except it reminds me a little bit of his conversation with Clarice at the beginning. It sort of harkens back to, even even at the very beginning, it talks about the, it was still, and I, there was we were walking, and I could hear f- things, and, and, and it sort of is, has this bookend quality of the ending being like this and the beginning, being mm. like this. Almost he's become Clarice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he does yeah. kind of... Uh, refer to that and um, he certainly recognizes the elements that he was attracted to by in in Clarice, you know, in these surroundings. So, so now he's in this, in, I'll just call him the hinterland spot, you know, (laughs) and, you know, sees these, meets these resistors who are um, reading and memorizing books and, you know, they, they burn the books right after mm-hmm. they read them mm-hmm. because they can't hang on Keep to them. Keeps them safe. But they they have the books inside them in, internally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and Montag questions that, and he says, um, Granger, who's the guy he meets out in the hinterlands, um, when the war's over, perhaps we can be of some use in the world. And Montag says, do you really think they'll listen then? Granger says, if not, we'll just have to wait. We'll pass the books on to our children by word of mouth and let our children wait in turn on the other people. A lot will be lost that way, of course, but you can't make people listen. They have to come around in their own time, wondering what happened and why the world blew up under them. It can't last.
1: Yeah, I think that's very powerful in a, in a couple of different ways. Um, one thing is that I, it speaks to how your mind is yours, kind of no matter what, um, a lot, and it also speaks to oral traditions. Um, so the recreation of society being passed in oral traditions and having this connection to what came before, which is how a lot of folks have kept um, songs and ens- enslaved people, even kept things through oral tradition. Um, and in a way, they've, they have this, this society that's so... Anti book, anti knowledge, anti um, thinking—that this is their way of resisting. That it's—it's pretty powerful.
0: It really is. It it is, and I think those two things you bring up—that the book becomes a part of them—you know—it makes me think about just in the same way that, and maybe I've said this before in the podcast, but it just really strikes me that you know it's like an education; it can't be taken away from Mm. you. Mm-hmm. You know, things mm-hmm. can be taken away from you, but if you've been educated, that can't be taken mm-hmm. away. And when you read a book, it becomes a part of you.
1: Mm-hmm. And and they, they introduce themselves as the books, which yes. I think is kind of interesting. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the books that they've memorized. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, you know, it, in the end, I mean, and this is where, you know, you do feel like, despite the dystopic feel of the novel, Bradbury is a hopeful person. Um, he, he writes, um, and when the war's over someday, some year, the books can be written again. The people will be called in one by one to recite what they know and we'll set it up and type until another dark age when we might have to do the whole damn thing over again. But that's the wonderful thing about man. He never gets so discouraged or disgusted that he gives up doing it all over again because he knows very well it is important and worth the doing.
1: Mm. I feel like those are really important words for this these times that we're in. The cyclical nature of how the world is, it's up and down. Good things happen and beautiful things happen and terrible things happen.
0: And history repeats itself. Yeah. And you can even recognize that history is repeating itself. And the only um, hope is no- knowing that, you know, people did get through these really, really dark times and things have turned around in different parts of the world or with different people or, you know, mm-hmm. um, so to know that that's there. And then I think also that, you know, it's not just a waiting around. It's, um, you know, the antidote to despair is action.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there are people in this book that are taking action.
1: Right, right. And they're taking action not just for themselves, but for the people who come after them. Yes, and sometimes that's how you have to take action without without seeing the hope in your own lifetime.
0: That's very true. Yeah. So, um, well, <laughs> we're kind of drawing um, to the end of of our discussion, which I very much enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I think um, thinking about what we're doing with Malden Reads and having people discuss this book, it you know, we're we're driving home the importance of our history and learning history, um, whether it be our local history or mm. world history, um, and our own personal stories, mm-hmm. um, and how those are, you know, people in the book have lost connection to their stories, but that, um, ha- that telling our stories is, um, is something that's very important to do. Mm-hmm and i know you've been involved in storytelling events that we've had yes. um through malden reads mm-hmm. cuz uh, malden reads has been doing um that kind of personal storytelling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: um yeah i think storytelling is deeply important right and i think that's one of the wonderful things about malden reads is that it it encourages that um both by reading stories and also by having folks tell them and i also love that it's a book from a long time ago, a quote-unquote long time ago, right? It's It, it it's brings a different character to Malden Reads this year.
0: Yeah, it is our first time we picked a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the other ones have been more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I very much enjoyed, you know, the two services that you've given, um, one on The Hate You Give mm-hmm. um, by Angie Thomas, and then um, last year with uh, Tea Girl of, of Hummingbird Lane by Lisa C. Mm-hmm. So um, I look forward to hearing what you do as a interfaith, worship service around Fahrenheit 451, but uh, I can see that there's um, a lot of relevance. I feel like we're living
1: a science fiction novel right now
0: with the coronavirus. Um,
1: Absolutely. They, this literally is the, the plot of some books that I feel like I've read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's weird to be living in that moment
0: but i did notice that the title of your upcoming service had the word hope in it
1: it did <laughs> hope in the time of covid-19 that's right <laughs> because you have to have hope right even if it you know for for whatever's going to come because without it um it's hard to it's hard to make to function you know like the like you were saying the antidote to hope to fear to is, despair to despair is action and the antidote to fear is hope this is this is what somebody at the world health organization said the other day um and I think we have to act that way. And we also have to act not for just for ourselves, mm-hmm. which is what they're doing in the book is mm-hmm. they're acting for not for just themselves, but for who comes after them and for the other people around them. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing we actually have to do in the case of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. is not just act for ourselves, but act to, to save those around us in terms of um, making sure that other people don't get sick, making sure that people have all the resources they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that those, those definitely speak to each other. Mm.
0: Well, It's been so great to speak with you. I know we can go on and on, but we can always continue after the podcast. And um, thank you so much for coming down. Yeah, it was so much
1: fun and great to be here.
0: Reverend Otto will be leading an interfaith worship service on Sunday, March 29th, 2020, at 10.30 a.m. via Zoom. Anyone who has a phone landline or cell, can call and listen in, or if you have Wi-Fi, an electronic device, and the capability to download the free Zoom app, you can watch, listen to, and participate in this live event, which will also be recorded for playback. You do not need to be of any particular faith or affiliated with any religion to enjoy and appreciate this service. There will also be, as a separate event, an interactive book discussion on Fahrenheit 451, led by Reverend Otto, shortly following the service that anyone can join. You can take part in either or both of these activities. To learn all the details, visit maldenreads.org. This podcast is recorded at M.A.T.V., soon to be UMA, Urban Media Arts. Visit matv.org for more information. Podcast graphic created by Elena Martinez. All music composed and recorded by John Garness and Robbie Buland. For more information about this podcast, visit maldenreads.org podcast.